Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio, where each week we bring you an in-depth conversation with a creative Mississippian. I'm your host, Lauren Rhodes, Director of Grants at the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with Tema Stoffer. Tema is a photographer whose work examines the social, economic, and cultural landscapes of American spaces. Her first book of photographs, Upstate, was nominated for the Unveiled Photo Book Award in 2018. Her new photo series, Southern Fiction, explores the settings that shape the literary imaginations of 20th century Southern writers, including Eudora Welty, William Faulkner, and Richard Wright. A monograph of Southern fiction will be released by Daylight Books this month. Tema lives in Asheville, North Carolina, and she is an associate professor of photography at East Tennessee State University. Welcome, Tema. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I just will start, you know, you and I met in, in 2019 when you first visited the Welty House and we're starting work on your Southern fiction project. So it's been incredible to see the project come to fruition and to hear to see you holding the book in your hands on Zoom. Um, so congratulations on, on that publication. Thank you so much. I do want to start from the beginning, though. We'll dive into Southern fiction, but I'd love to talk about your artistic origin story, um, starting from where you're from originally. Yeah, sure. I grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. My father um, was a sociology professor at Kalamazoo College, and um, I was actually born in North Carolina. So I, I was uh, I have two months of, of Southern roots. And then my father got his job at Kalamazoo College and my, my family moved to the Midwest. Um, and, you know, from a very early age, my parents um, were, were very conscious of my passion for art and for literature. And, um, and they enrolled me in art classes from almost as early as I can remember at the Kalamazoo um, Art Institute. And um, when I was about 16, my mom thought, you know, suggested that I take a photography class. And, and I was utterly captivated by photography from, from then on, it was sort of very clear to me um, that that's what I, I really wanted to do. And it really brought together my interest in storytelling and, and visual art in this kind of perfect, perfect way. Um, so I, and then when I, I went to Oberlin College in Ohio and, and then taking a college photography class sort of even elevated that in terms of the level of conversations we were having about photography. And um, in the beginning, I was working in black and white, white darkroom. This was, um, the 90s and I shifted to doing color photography was at Oberlin spent a semester at the Art Institute of Chicago just like a deeper dive into color photography um, and then briefly moved to New York City uh, for a summer after I got out of college and then ended up moving back to Chicago and and I was uh, I went to graduate school at the University of Illinois at Chicago and then lived there for a while 
moved to um, moved to Minneapolis and then arrived in New York City in my um, early 30s and spent about nine years um, working as a freelance artist, arts writer, um, window dresser for Bergdorf <laughs> <laughs> um, and adjunct professor at many schools, including the um, International Center of Photography and um, William Patterson University, Ramapo College, College of Staten Island, kind of all over the place. And, wow. and then um, in my ongoing nomadic trajectory, I ended up uh, with my first full-time teaching position and moved to Montreal in 2014. And that was a, a limited term appointment, which is sort of comparable to a visiting position. I was there for three years. And that's when I started my, my last project, uh, my upstate project, is I was, um, when I would leave Montreal, I was mostly returning to upstate New York um, and developed that project there, which I then published my first book when I um, started my position um, at East Tennessee State University, which was in 20, I, I got the job in 2017 and published the book in 2018. Um, and but the seeds of the idea for the, the Southern Fiction project were, were planted um, actually um, in that sort of transitional stage of, of knowing that I was leaving um, Canada and moving to the South. Well, let's let's pause there, too, because okay. I, I did want to. There's a lot, a lot there. <laughs> you took us from the Midwest to Montreal to, uh, you know, you've lived and taught photography all over the world. Um, and I, I want to talk about your your first monograph upstate. Uh, can you tell us about that project? Because I do think there's some really interesting connections between that and and Southern fiction. Um, in terms sure. of you know sense of place, uh, but yeah, tell us a little bit about upstate and how that came about. Right. So I'll I'll, I'll start by saying I mean all of my bodies of work are, are rooted in a sense of place, and even the project that I did for five years when I was living in New York City, which is a portrait project, was really about place. And I shot that project in Patterson, New Jersey, and made um, bus trips from um, from New York City to Patterson. Um, you know, for, for about five years. Um, and I was sort of, this was begun in the um, sort of aftermath of the economic crisis. And it's a very historic post-industrial city. And so it's kind of looking at this multicultural community um, and looking at, you know, the sort of reality of a post-industrial city um, there, but as a kind of metaphor for post-industrial cities across America. Um, and then, when, like I said, when I moved to Montreal, uh, uh, the Hudson area um, became my kind of base back in the States. I mean, both the city and um, both New York City and, you know, Hudson and Germantown. My, my An ex of mine, her, her aunt, um, lived in Germantown. And so I would spend a lot of my time there when I was um, off from teaching. And I had been quite captivated by the Hudson Valley from you know early on, um, just through my personal experiences there, and the sort of um, you know over time it became clearer and clearer to me that I actually wanted to you know do my next project there. So I I jumped into that project in the fall of 2015, and then started developing pictures there, shooting pictures, capturing pictures there on on my breaks from the academic year. Um, and then 
there are a few portraits in that project, but I became more focused on looking at the um, the sort of vestiges of the um, industrial landscape and the landscape itself, which is, you know, uh, incredibly stunning um, landscape that's been represented by a whole like school of artists. Um, and, you know, it just drove, made a lot of these sort of short road trips around the various um, sort of rural towns surrounding Hudson. So parts of it are, in Hudson proper, um, somewhere along the Hudson River, and the Hudson, the river was really a significant part of the the initial rise, economic rise of Hudson. And Hudson has a very interesting story of these kind of um, rise rises and falls of mm -hmm. um, uh, you know throughout several centuries, actually. So um, I was interested in looking at kind of what remained of this story of Hudson. And even, I mean, you know, you know, Hudson has obviously been extremely gentrified in, in recent years. And um, I wasn't so much focusing on that aspect of Hudson, but really looking at its sort of longer um, history. Well, and you see sort of these, what you, you know, industrialization and, and this sort of aspects of decay against beautiful scenic backdrops. Um, which very different landscape than Mississippi in the South, but I saw a lot of similarities in, in some of those aspects of, you know, once a prosperous buildings now kind of allowed to decay um, where nature is kind of taking over in some aspects. Right, I mean, I, I think that um, finding history in the landscape is sort of a, a, a thread through, through all, mm -hmm. all of my work and what sort of speaks to me and resonates. So one thing that I'm, I find really intriguing about your work too, and I'm, I'm not a photographer, so this has been a huge learning experience for me is the, the medium of large format photography. And, um, and I'm not sure, was, was Upstate, did you use this style of photography for Upstate as well? So Upstate is about half, um, six, seven, format, medium format, and half large format. And I made that transition to large format during that project. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I felt like, first of all, this kind of historic approach of shooting four by five really lended, lended itself to the um, subject of the project and this sort of sense of history. So that was part of it. Also, um, wanting wanting that larger format because I was moving towards photographing architecture and landscapes. Um, and once I got that four by five camera, I think almost everything that I shot from then on was four by five with a few exceptions because um, it's I can make images much more quickly with the six seven in a way that uh, everything with the four by five is very slow. It's set up on a tripod, you're under a black cloth, you know, you're, you're focusing the image in the glass, which can, you know, take anywhere from, you know, a few minutes to 10 or 15 minutes sometimes. Per to, one image. To, per one image. Yeah. Just to, I mean, you, you saw that because mm -hmm. you remember when I was at the Eudora Welty house and, you know, spent a long time just in, initially when I walked in her living room and I was photographing those books on the couch and it probably took me like a half an hour before I even took a photograph. So you saw that, you know, you witnessed that process. Right. Yeah. And, 
And then, you know, so, and out in the world too, just, um, it, you know, all the elements that you're kind of contending with. Oh, it, in Hudson, I mean, there are these elements of wind and, and, and freezing cold weather. And, you know, I, I have memories of, I had a, kind of those gloves that, you know, are fingerless gloves and I was mm-hmm. shooting dead of winter and my, you know, just virtually oh years trying to like <laughs> camera. Um, but I, I, I do find, I mean, there is a um, absolutely just um, captivating quality experience, you know, to, um, you know, seeing the photo and making that photo through with a four by five camera. That, that and especially I- in our digital era, you know, where just anyone takes, I mean, I'm taking you know, hundreds of photos per week of my baby on my smartphone, you know, that this is just such a completely different process. And you, you really can tell in the end result that the photos were taken in a a different medium. Um, Yeah. So when did you first, so with Upstate was when you first got into large format photography, were there other photographers that inspired you um, or whose work you looked to while you were making this transition? Yeah, so interestingly, um, the Southern photographer, William Christenberry, who's, I mean, obviously an influence on the Southern Fiction Project was even an influence ahead on the upstate project. I mean, I've, I've always really loved his work and I think the large format approach, but also his process of revisiting places over and over again um, to, to reshoot them and, and over, you know, over time see them change. And I have photographed the same sites in both series, like on many occasions sometimes and revisit them over and over again. And that was something that I was really, you know, drawn to about his process that there seemed to be a real investment in specific places that he was interested in. And he looked at those places like over and over again. So that was a, that was part of my experience as well. That's fascinating. And I'm, um, I'm excited to, to move more into the, the genesis of Southern fiction and we'll move South. Um, How did you, come to North Carolina, first of all, how did you, what brought you to, to the South after your, you know, after working in the North? Um, well, so I, when my job, my three years at, in Montreal at, at Concordia University, when that position ended, I spent my last year, um, you know, applying to teaching positions, uh, largely tenure track teaching positions. <laughs> Um, all around North America, I mean, mostly United States, um, and interviewed for many throughout the year um, and got this offer to um, at ETSU. And I came down, I, you know, aside from being born in North Carolina, I didn't have a lot of my own, you know, experience in the South. Mm-hmm. And I, I can get to that more when we talk about the sort of genesis of Southern fiction. But um, I, you know, started this teaching, I got the job offer and and moved um, in the summer of 2017 and started uh, a position, a tenure track position as assistant pre- professor of photography at ETSU um, in September of, of 2017. Awesome. Yeah, well, so we're... Then I lived in Johnson City for the first four years and, and then okay. moved to Asheville, um, which is an hour away. And now I commute to my job. Um, from Asheville to Kansas City through the Blue Ridge Mountains. Beautiful commute. It is indeed. I enjoy it a great deal. 
Hi, I'm Lauren Rhodes. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The Arts Hour is a co-production of the Mississippi Arts Commission and MPB Think Radio. You can also listen to the show on Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Lauren Rhodes, Director of Grants at the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with photographer Tama Stauffer, whose book of photography, Southern Fiction, will be published by Daylight Books later this month. Tama, welcome back, and let's get started on Southern Fiction. Can you give us an overview of of the project and then um, tell us about what what started it all? Yeah, okay. So... As I mentioned, um, you know, I, I knew that I was going to be moving to the South by about May of 2017, and um, the the idea really came to me um, so like kind of quick quickly and forcefully and and kind of passionately in a way that almost no project has ever just been that sort of immediate to me. But um, I you know, I've, I've always had an interest in Southern photography and, and Southern um, literature. Um, and I really felt like I knew the South through so reading about, you know, reading uh, literature uh, throughout my life from, you know, as a teenager, I read Carson McCullers, Truman Capote, Flannery O'Connor, Faulkner and so on. Um, and so there was already a South that that existed in, in my mind. And sort of the idea was the project was to explore that South of the mind that had been shaped by these writers by um, making road trips to where they lived and work and kind of exploring these um, environments, these landscapes and, and even you know, their homes um, if possible. So I, I really actually began the a very initial research for this project even before I left Canada. So I was, mm-hmm. there is a website called Southern Literary Trails that I found just doing a little online research. And that was kind of a gold mine from the beginning because it maps out um, where all these, the history of these like writers' lives and the locations of their, whether they're, you know, childhood homes or, or whatever relationship they had to the South, which obviously varies with different photographers, whether, you know, how long they stayed there, many of them obviously in their trajectory of leaving and going to like New York City or, or wherever. Um, but um, it, it is a, a really a, a, a wonderful resource and really helped me a lot in the beginning. Um, to kind of map out um, where these writers lived. Um, And then, as I mentioned, when I started my job, I was also um, in the, that first year publishing my first book, Upstate, which we talked about. Um, So it was very focused on, I finished shooting the last images for Upstate in, in the winter of 2017. And I knew I was publishing that book in the fall of 2018. So I had to give that whole first year to um, the kind of end of the upstate uh, 
project mm -hmm. in the um, in, in in publishing this book. But as soon as I finished all the work towards getting you know the book ready for publication, and the spring rolled around, and I was done with my first academic year, I immediately uh, made my first trip um, to to start actually shooting Southern Fiction. Um, which didn't immediately have the name Southern Fiction, but that, that kind of came later. Um, I, but my first trip was actually um, to Andalusia Farm, um, which is the home where Flannery O'Connor mm -hmm. lived during the later part of her life. Um, she had lupus and, and she lived there and was sort of surrounded by um, farm animal, animals and, and uh, these kind her of- peacocks. Centric, yeah, collections of things for her horse barn, which I photographed. And so actually- when I made that trip, you know, I just I just drove down to Milledgeville. Um, I had not reached out to so the Andalusia farm was closed at that time. Mm -hmm. The in transition of the um, whoever managed it before and then becoming under the auspices of the university. Um, so I couldn't have gone inside um, and got gotten access at that time. Um, so I just went there <laughs> and the gate was open and I, I drove onto the property um, just to kind of check it out. Not, mm -hmm. not to like break in the house or anything, <laughs> get a feel for it, you know? And, um, and I have been there several times since I, and I took the photograph of, of the um, horse barn that's actually included in the book um, on uh you know, outside of her home. And then I did actually return there and photograph some images in the interior of her home, which actually never made it into um, the book or, or, or the, ex the traveling exhibition um, of this body of work. And I have a lot of pictures on my phone. I took pictures of all these quirky, interesting things inside her house. I found it very challenging to photograph inside the house with four by five camera. It's just lighting issues and space, like being able to step back far enough, having good natural light. I mean, not that you know, if, if I'd gone back and back and back, it wouldn't have been possible. But what I brought back, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to have it, but it just, I, I didn't, it didn't end up making the mm -hmm. edit for the book. But nevertheless, that was kind of the, the beginning of, and I have made, you know, I've probably been to Milledgeville or that area, Milledgeville and Eatonton, perhaps the most of any of the sites because um, Alice Walker um, grew up miles from um, Andalusia Farm, 10, 20 miles. I mean, she grew up in Eatonton, which is an even smaller rural town in Georgia, not far from um, from Andalusia Farm. And she was aware of Andalusia Farm and Flannery mm -hmm. when she was um, growing up as well. So she's actually visited Andalusia Farm with her mother and written about that. So essentially you were finding places where Southern authors lived, but also what I find so interesting about this project is they're not just literal spaces. There's also the imagined spaces um, right. that show up in their fiction. And you and I are both fans of Ralph Eubanks and his book, A Place Like Mississippi. And he talks about um, how familiar terrain for Mississippi writers is, the, is real and imagined places where sometimes the imagined seems real and what is real seems imaginary. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that idea of real imagined, real and imagined places that you document? Yeah, I mean, so first let me say, it, I was so 
excited when his book came out and um, and felt it, it was uncanny, you know, that he had sort of approached from a scholarly perspective what I'd been doing for a couple of years at that point as an artist, as a photographer. Um, and so I just bought the book immediately and, and was, was just captivated by it. Um, but from the outset, my project was never really intended to be a kind of doc, strictly kind of documentary or ed editorial project about writers' homes. Um, it was really about the sense of their relationship um, to place and the kinds of um, landscapes and architecture and atmosphere that shaped and inspired them. So while there are some, I kind of wanted it to be anchored in like to visit these writers' homes, to kind of be in their spaces. And it was a very like moving and powerful experience in every case to be in each of their homes. Um, but that wasn't just, that wasn't the strictly the point of the project to just visit their and photograph their homes. It's really using that as, as a base. And then I would um, drive around, you know, the, the landscapes and towns like sort of surrounding their homes. And I wasn't looking for literal landmarks um, in their fiction. I was more like, what feels like their fiction to me? Like what makes me feel connected to the spirit of, of their work? And one of those um, areas or places that is so compelling and recognizable to, to Mississippians is um, the imaginary Yaknapatafa County of Faulkner's imagined landscape. Um, and I think Roanoke is, was one of your first places along with uh, Flannery O'Connor's home, is that right? Yes, that is right. So um, similarly, I just showed up at Roanoke the first time and I've, also, I've been back there, I've been to Roanoke three times. Um, the first time I was actually, it was uh, uh, over um, Christmas break in, in 2018. I was driving um, from Johnson City at that time to my brother's house in Austin and using that trip as, as you know, because I'm passing through these states that are part of my project to ideally make photos at least research locations. Mm -hmm. So I had spent the night in, in Memphis and um, woke up in the morning and drove to Roanoke, not also having like reached out to the director there yet. He was there, his name is Bill. Um, and he was very welcoming and generous. And um, when I explained to him that I would wanna come back and photograph there, he said, you know, nobody's here right now, go ahead and take some pictures if you want to. So I, I went and got my four by five camera out of the car and, and you know, sort of moved through the house, making photographs in different rooms. Um, but I actually took the photograph of the kitchen curtains um, on that um, on that first visit, which was very, um, you know, just serendipitous that, that that worked out so beautifully that he allowed me to photograph spontaneously that day. Um, and then I, the other photograph from um, Faulkner's house that's in the book is his daughter Jill's bedroom. Um, and I had pho I photographed that a couple times. The reason for the third trip is that on the second trip, um, I, I photographed that room and it was 
I literally had to buy a wider lens for my four by five camera to get it right because I couldn't, I had a 150 lens that I was shooting everything with and in order to be in that space and, you know, I had my back to the wall, the back of the bedroom, Mm -hmm. I had to get this, you know, 135 lens for my four by five slightly wider to be able to fit in the scene of the chair and the painting and the fireplace and so on. So in order to like, you know, get all those elements right, I, I made that, that third trip there as well. And that last, I think that last trip was in, in 2020 during the pandemic. Um, but, but Bill was like you, Bill Griffiths is his name, um, just completely amazing and generous about letting me photograph there and very supportive of my project. And what I find so fascinating about those images too, is that they're very ethereal, very intimate, and also very feminine in some ways, which is not how (laughs) we think about William Faulkner. So, right. I mean, because in his, his bedroom, there are, you know, hunting boots and, um, you know, various, various elements of, of his kind of level of masculinity. Um, and in his, his office is, is really interesting. And I did photograph it. Um, there he's pieces of his, um, novels are like on his wall. He's literally written on his wall. And that seemed like an obviously interesting thing to photograph, but also an obviously thing to interesting mm-hmm. thing to photograph, right? So, and, and I think I, we had talked about how I, in some ways too, I was trying to avoid cliches of writers' lives with typewriters and, and maybe, you know, try to find my own um, angle on things that might be a little less obvious. Though, you know, I, I definitely, I did photograph in that space. And it was also um, challenging just spatially to, to I, I took, the, I couldn't even take those pictures on my four by five well. So I, I took some on my six, seven. I did have the six, seven with me on that trip. And, um, but it was very inspiring to be in that space. I mean, what I will say about each of these writers that, uh, whose homes I was in, it's just, I, there's a kind of a humility um, uh, about how they live. There, 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 there are things around, you know, paintings or books or whatever, but there, it's, there's no level of lavishness or ostentation. It's just like, there's, you, you feel their focus on the things that they just wanted to pare it down and, and, and folk, have the space to write. And so a lot of the sense of trying to bring light into these images mm-hmm. was about um, creative space and imagination, like literary space. Hi, I'm Lauren Rhodes. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The Arts Hour is a co-production of the Mississippi Arts Commission and MPB Think Radio. You can also listen to the show on Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877 MPB, the number four car. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. 
I'm Lauren Rhodes with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'm talking with photographer Tema Stauffer about her forthcoming book of photography titled Southern Fiction. So before this, Tema, we were talking about Roanoke and Yoknipatawpha County. What are some of the other spaces that you photographed in either in Mississippi or, or other places in the South that um, you want to be sure to mention and talk about? Sure. Yeah. So, well, you know, as, as you know, you were a great resource for me. So when, after I photographed um, at the Dorwell Tea House, I asked you if you could, um, you know, help me generate ideas for, for places, not just Eudora Welty House, but in Mississippi that were of particular interest to Eudora Welty um, as, a, as a writer and as a photographer. And, and you were the one who pointed me to Rodney, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I made a couple of trips to Rodney, Mississippi, actually one on the same um, trip where I photographed Eudora Welty House and, and then again. And so they're actually two images um, from Rodney um, in, in, the, in the book. Um, and I also went to Port Gibson um, and that was also at your suggestion. Um, so thank you again. For, of course. <laughs> I mean, the, the myriad ways you've, you've helped me with this project. Um, but also I, I made um, a couple trips to Natchez, Mississippi to photograph the um, roots of, of Richard Wright. Um, and I, I think I made, actually, I, want, I think I made three trips there. And again, it was about um, re-photographing because the first time I went through Natchez, I was on that way back, on the way back of that um, trip um, and uh, from Austin. So I drove from Texas and, and went through Natchez um, and, I got, I was there in the morning and the light was just way too bright, way too mm. bright to work with. And, and it was just this super contrasty light. But I did meet um, a, a woman who lives in Richard Wright's house. There's a, a older woman, her two daughters that live there. Um, and I explained my project and they were extremely um, gracious about, I mean, the, even that, that day, the, uh, the, one of the daughters like moved her car that was parked in front of the house. And there are all these obstacles that when people see these photographs, you don't necessarily know what was around that or what, what are the challenges that might have presented themselves, but there, there were cars parked in front of the house. And, and also, so I did take those pictures, but the light was bad. So then I went back on, a, on another trip to re-photograph. Um, and I did see one of the sisters again. Um, and I, the light was better. It was more like more overcast and more even. And however, I, then I had some, um, technical disasters with, um, I got back in and a lot of my film had been ruined by light leaks, um, which, you know, on oh. a happens with four by five film. It's just, uh, um, sometimes, you know, a, a film holder or when you're loading on unloading your film, there's, there's something that happens. And, you know, so there are streaks in, in a lot of the images. So then I went back a third time because I was really determined um, to have um, Richard Wright's history included in this project. Um, and so the, on the third time, but um, as, as, as you know, that his 
house is not the center of of the image the title of the image is not richard wright's you know childhood home but um it's the block that he grew up on because i found that um the house next including the house next door really gave a feel for that neighborhood like more what what his street looked like um i think the house next to his really captured that more um, so I wanted to kind of give that context of, of more of the neighborhood too. And it's a really interesting contrast because his historic home is, you know, perfectly preserved and the house next door is in a state of decay. Right. But it's not just the decay, but there's a certain specific style of architecture that that house is it, they're, they're kind of ubiquitous um, in that neighborhood and, and maybe in rural Mississippi in general. And so it wasn't just that that house was more decayed, but that that house had more of the feel, I think, of, of what that what the neighborhood looks like. It's a really striking image. Um, and one image I'd love to talk about, too, is that always sticks in my memory from the collection is uh, a photo from the Medgar Evers house and an accompanying photo too. I think they're next to each other in the series from the El Rain neighborhood uh, yeah. where the Medgar Evers house is, is located. Can you, can you describe the, the image in the Medgar Evers house and then also just the maybe behind the scenes of, of photographing that historic place and neighborhood? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I did um, reach out to um, Minnie, Minnie Walker, I believe is her name, who, um, who gave me access. She, she met me there. Um, I, I, I located her information um, online and um, called her. And so you can, can only get into the house by um, making an appointment with her. And she, I mean, she is an incredible resource um, because she actually knew that knew Megger and, and um, Merle Evers and 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 had, knew so much about their lives. So um, she not only met me there, but we spent, I would say, hours um, inside the house, and she told me a lot about a lot about their lives, um, and really interesting things about the house, about how they lived in fear of what happened happening. And that was a really, um, you know, interesting and disturbing um, aspect of, of that, you know, he was shot, he was murdered in his carport, but even ahead of that, um, they lived in fear of, of being, even their, their children, their daughters being um, something happening through these windows. So they, the windows were actually built in such a way that the children would sleep lower to the, the windows were higher. Um, and, you know, the, the bullet passed through the carport and into the kitchen. And I had, I did make some photographs, um, in the kitchen as, as well as in the bedroom, but, um, ultimately it was, it was maybe sometimes I try to, I maybe show things that are less explicit and, and kind of um, more just like leave leave more room to fill in um, kind of narrative. And um, I also thought like the I, I, the the colors um, in the bedroom really interesting in the context of the bedroom, especially in light of that story about um, kind of living in that that fear. Yeah, it's so the photo is of the bedroom. It's like a an olive green paint. It's very reminiscent of the the 60s um 
And it's a very peaceful image as well, which I think is is striking when you think of the history of his assassination there. Um, but I thought the fact that you show the bedroom is is a, a statement about, you know, the life of the, the Evers family. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to mention the the contributions from three writers and I, I'm honored to be one of the the writers that contributed essays to your to your book Casey Sepp who is the author of The Furious Hours and Honoré Fannin Jeffers who wrote The Love Songs of W.E.B. Dubois um, also had contributions can you tell us about working with Casey and, and Honoré? Yeah yeah so um the summer of 2021, which was when I was finishing um, the my my last images for the project, and at that point, um, I'd already communicated with Daylight and knew that I would be publishing the book. So I was trying to kind of you know end the the image making stage and move into the book making stage, which took up all of last year. Um, so my my main project actually in the summer of 2021 was to um, find the contributing writers for the book. And more than any photography project that I've ever done, I felt like um, the writing, the the essays were, you know, essential to really um, shaping this book. And so it was of, you know, critical importance to me that I find the the right people with the right knowledge um, to contribute essays. And I, I have on my computer still a document of, um, more than maybe like 30 um, scholars, curators, creative writers, historians, etc. that I that I was giving consideration to reaching out to and so on. But I, you know, reached out to a few people I thought would be good resources to make suggestions. And I had gone to Square Books, actually, which I absolutely love. That's a whole conversation of its in its own and, and talked to staff there and came back with, you know, um, a lot of um, books by creative writers um, based in, in Oxford or Mississippi. Um, but I also reached out to you and, and you um, gave me a list of suggestions of writers. And I saw Casey, when I saw Casey Sepp's name and website and clicked on her website and read about Furious Hours, it was just like electric for me. Like mm-hmm. I, I just felt, I felt this excitement and I, it, it was just, so powerful and I, I mean immediately ordered the book um and read it in just days when I got it and um and it was just this this combination of um you know her knowledge of the rural south of of writers that she had done a book um that was this kind of true crime but also biography of um Harper Lee and um it, you know, so I, I, I wrote to her, um, I believe it was around the end of August and it took a while to hear, hear back from her because she was on maternity leave. She and her wife had, um, had a daughter in, in August. And then um, I had actually had the first exhibition, the first solo exhibition of Southern fiction at um, Auburn University in Alabama, which is located just you know, miles from the setting of Furious Hours. And I was thinking about Casey so much on that trip and thinking about her book. And I came home from Alabama and got this email from her saying, you know, 
yes, I want to um, write an essay for your book. And I talked to the New Yorker and, and we want to publish it in the photo booth. Is, you know, is that okay with you? And <laughs> it's, it's like, is you it know? okay to publish your photos <laughs> in the New Yorker? Yeah. And I mean, it was so, um, it, you know, it was just, it was just like one of the, you know, happiest moments of my life. Honestly, it was so, I was so grateful and happy. And um, so, and, and then um, in terms of how the relationship evolved with honorary um so that when when that photo booth publication came to fruition which was january of 2022 um i a, a few days after that was published or over the weekend after that was published um on instagram honorary who i did not know at that time um had posted the picture of the fruit stand, which is um, near Andalusia Farm and near um, Alice Walker's roots on Highway 441 in, in Georgia. Um, she posted that picture and said, this fruit stand is, is my childhood. This fruit stand um, appears in my novel. And I you know, immediately um, looked her up, went to her website. And, and again, it was just this incredible and uncanny um, experience for me because one of my sort of goals all along, or even very, very early on, was the idea that a, a contemporary creative writer would write an essay and talk about how, you know, from someone from the South who had been shaped by the South would talk about how that had shaped their literary work. Um, and when I uh, when I read about Henri, um, I, I realized, I, you know, I saw that this 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 you know the possibility that she might be that person and I wrote her an email and and I, you know just said I know this is short notice um because this is now January and the book was you know we're trying to wrap up getting ready for publication by April and that got extended a little but nevertheless um she wrote back and said yes and and again I was just so grateful and thrilled and um you know I ordered her book immediately too and just in the weeks, you know, preceding that initial conversation, just stayed up late at night and woke up early in the morning to read this, you know, 800 or so page kind of epic novel about um, race and, and, and family and in America, it's like several generations of, of a family and in Honoré's own roots, or her family's roots are, are in Eatonton. Her mother was was born there and she talks about that in the essay. Um, and, 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 oh, she had also told me, you know, that her, uh, her mother was Alice Walker's teacher and she, she knew her. So they're just all wow. these just incredible elements that came together so beautifully. So many in incredible connections. And as we wrap up, I do want to note that you will be in Mississippi in October, um, coinciding with the release of Southern Fiction. Um, I know of one event we'll be talking together on October 8th at 4 p.m. on the Welty House front lawn discussing Southern fiction. And that's in partnership with the Eudora Welty House, the Welty Foundation, MDAH, and the Mississippi Humanities Council. Um, looking forward to that. And I, I know you also have some upcoming signings, book signings in Mississippi. Can you mention those as well? Yeah, so the evening prior to the event at Theodore Welty House, I have a book signing at Lemuria Books. And my, my friend, um, a writer in, in uh, Minneapolis, Catherine Savage, will be joining me for that. And also um, speaking briefly, we're both speaking briefly about our books. Um, and her book is called Ground Glass and, and, and is also sort of focused on place. 
um, in a, a kind of memoristic um, approach. So um, we're both really looking forward to this trip and sharing our books in Mississippi. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.